You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, before we get started, go subscribe to the podcast YouTube channel. It's linked in the description below. In 2011, an innocent black man was put to death for the murder of a police officer 20 years prior, and all the evidence pointed to his innocence. But this is America. And I'm Andre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. Welcome to the first installment of Today in Redacted History. I've been wanting to start a new segment on the podcast where I can in some way talk about the things that are going on currently or anniversaries of stories and events and a lot of times lesser known stories because you know how we do at this podcast. So that is where the Today in Redacted History name came from. So let's get into the show. The death penalty. Are you for it? or against it. The state of the United States prison system is a subject of long-standing conflict, as it should be. We can look at things like the 13th Amendment, the school-to-prison pipeline, or the prison industrial complex. Either way you spin it, they are all insidious components of one larger, monstrous system. And this can all be illustrated with the story of Troy Anthony Davis. Rodney King, Natasha Harlins, O.J. Simpson, these are names of black people that you're probably familiar with who dominated national media for one thing or another related to high profile cases and crime in the 1990s. But one name that you may or may not have heard is Troy Davis. And admittedly, I haven't heard of his name until last year. Troy Davis was sentenced to death on August 30th, 1991 for the August 1989 murder of off-duty Savannah, Georgia police officer Mark McPhail. The death penalty has existed across the globe for centuries upon centuries in different forms such as hanging, firing squad, lethal injection, or the brazen bull, but I'll let you look that one up on your own. The death penalty as it stands in the United States isn't an afterthought. Matter of fact, as it stands, the United States is currently very much so divided when it comes to the death penalty. 24 out of 50 states allow the death penalty. Some states like Wisconsin made capital punishment illegal in 1853. But according to national statistics, on average, 26.3 people have been executed annually since the year 2000. Overall, executions are on the decline. In 2000, 85 inmates were executed across the country. In 2020, that number was 17. But of the states that allow capital punishment, Texas has executed approximately 574 people since 1976. And I was not happy to see that both states that I've called home on one occasion or another, Ohio and North Carolina, have 43 and 56 executions since 1976, respectively. And those numbers get even more concerning when we add in the intersection of race. As of 2022, people of color have made up a disproportionate 43% of the total executions in the United States since 1976, and 55% of the people currently awaiting execution. Furthermore, the data shows that as of 2002, there have been more people executed in situations where the victim was white and the murderer was black, as opposed to the victim being black and the murderer being white. And according to a study conducted in the state of North Carolina, the odds of getting a death sentence increased three and a half times if a victim was white. 
And not many people know this, but the Supreme Court actually struck the death penalty down in 1972 in a case called Furman v. Georgia. A 5-4 to four vote cited that it went against the Eighth Amendment and that it was cruel and unusual punishment and that it was arbitrarily and capriciously in regards to race, more often than not, wrong. They weren't wrong, but they reinstated the death penalty a mere four years later due to what they deemed progress made in jury guidelines and reinstated the punishment under a model of good discretion. What was the point of striking it down if you were just going to reinstitute it four years later? You couldn't even wait half a decade. August 18th, 1989, Savannah, Georgia. Troy Davis and his friend Daryl Collins had left the party in the early hours of the morning. At around 1.15 a.m. on August 19th, Troy and Daryl ventured to a Burger King on Oglethorpe Avenue, where an argument was ensuing between a man named Sylvester Coles and a homeless man named Larry Young. They were arguing over alcohol. Larry Young was pistol whipped, but said he was unable to identify his attacker. It was then that an off-duty police officer named Mark McPhail, who was working security near the restaurant, attempted to intervene. This is where he was shot twice in the heart and the head. The shots that killed Officer McPhail rang from a 38 caliber pistol, and that gun was retrieved from the crime scene. Sylvester Coles stated that it was Troy Davis who had wielded the gun. The autopsy report stated that the bullet that killed Officer McPhail had pierced the side of his chest and his lung. At the trial, the state presented 15 witnesses in the case against Troy Davis, and perhaps the most interesting witness was Sylvester Coles, who had admitted that he had indeed been brandishing a 38 caliber pistol before the incident, but said that he had discarded of the gun before the incident. Immediately afterwards, he had gone to the police and exonerated himself, saying that Troy was the one who had the weapon and killed Officer McPhail. Prosecutors also had a couple witnesses that claimed to have heard a direct confession from Troy himself. One of the critiques against the prosecution in this case was that they never really considered Sylvester Coles as a suspect. They kind of just took his word for it. They were said to have just gone out and rounded up as many witnesses as they could. It was never about getting to the bottom of the actual murder, but for them it was about figuring out how to make Troy seem guilty. They had another black man, hook, line, and sinker. Wrongful conviction in these cases involving capital murder and which have the death penalty on the table almost always stem from police and prosecutorial misconduct. In this trial, we were dealing with the murder of a police officer, which, let's be really honest here, is already going to heighten emotion and suspicion. And authorities are going to do whatever they can to make sure that the perpetrator comes to justice. 71 of the 84 jurors interviewed to be selected for the Davis case had stated that they had already heard of the case through news coverage, publicity, and had already talked about the case amongst their friends and family. And only one juror from the entire pool said that they had heard nothing of the case, but that is only because they had been living outside of Savannah, Georgia at the time. In the case, the defense argued for a case of mistaken identity, citing a possible mix-up between Troy and Sylvester Coles, and the jury struck that defense down immediately. When it was time to sentence Troy Davis, he dealt down on his innocence, which he had been maintaining the entire time. The defense urged the jury to spare him and to not impose the death penalty, but the jury was not hearing that at all. And on August 30th, 1991, Troy Davis was sentenced to death for the murder of Mark McPhail. 
Between Troy's sentencing and execution 20 years later, there were numerous questions posed around the case. Would he have been convicted to death in today's age with newer technology, more attention, and life without parole as an alternative? In new happenings after the trial, all but three of the witnesses used to secure the death of Troy Davis recanted their testimonies. The state of Georgia said this was just hearsay and couldn't be considered. But was it? But the one person who never recanted his testimony was, you guessed it, Sylvester Coles, who had new evidence implicating him as the gunman down the line. And some of the witnesses had started to have misleading stories or recanted their statements altogether. For instance, a man named Kevin McQueen, who was jailed with Troy in 1989, said that Troy had confessed to the murder of McPhail, but later recanted the statement and admitted that the only reason he had ever admitted to it was because he wanted to quote unquote get even since he and Troy had gotten into an argumentative confrontation in one instance. Afterwards, Troy and his team attempted to get his case appealed and seen by a federal judge. This was curtailed by the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act signed by Bill Clinton in 1996. At the signing of the law, Clinton was quoted saying, For too long and in too many cases, endless death row appeals have stood in the way of justice being served. He added that, From now on, criminals sentenced to death for their vicious crimes will no longer be able to use endless appeals to delay their sentences. Way to go, Bill. The act basically placed unprecedented restrictions on prisoners citing constitutional violations in their sentencing. Troy's original execution date was set for June 25, 2007. By this time, there had been rising public support for Davis and his innocence. The execution was delayed 90 days so that new evidence could be seen, but the Georgia Supreme Court denied all appeals on the basis of mistaken identity because they have stated they now do not feel able to identify the shooter but that the trial testimony could not be ignored and that they, in fact, favored that original testimony over the new recanted testimonies of the original witnesses. In July of 2008, defense attorneys argued against the Georgia Supreme Court decision, saying that the Eighth Amendment argued against the execution of an innocent person. And of course, this was also denied by the Supreme Court. After more appeals, more halted executions and more hearings, the Georgia Board of Pardons and Paroles finally set an execution date for September 21st, 2011. The execution by lethal injection started at 10.53 p.m. Troy's last words were, quote, Well, first of all, I'd like to address the McPhail family. I'd like to let you all know, despite the situation, I know all of you are still convinced that I'm the person that killed your father, your son, and your brother, but I am innocent. The incident that happened that night was not my fault. I did not have a gun that night. I did not shoot your family member, but I am so sorry for your loss. I really am. Sincerely. All I can ask is that each of you look deeper into this case so that you really will finally see the truth. I ask my family and friends that you all continue to pray, that you all continue to forgive. Continue to fight this fight. For those about to take my life, may God have mercy on all of your souls. God bless you all. Troy was dead at 11.08 p.m. To end the episode, I would like to read a quote from Troy Davis that he wrote in January of 2007. Where is the justice for me? In 1989, I surrendered myself to the police for crimes I knew I was innocent of in an effort to seek justice through the court system in Savannah, Georgia. But like so many death penalty cases, that was not my fate, and I have been denied justice. 
During my imprisonment, I have lost more than freedom. I lost my father and my family has suffered terribly, many times being treated as less than human and even as criminals. In the past, I have had lawyers who refused my input and would not represent me in the manner that I wanted to be represented. I have had witnesses against me threatened into making false statements to seal my death sentence and witnesses who wanted to tell the truth were vilified in court. For the entire two years I was in jail awaiting trial, I wore a handmade cross around my neck. It gave me peace. And when a news reporter made a statement in the local news, cop killer wears cross to court. The cross was immediately taken as if I was unworthy to believe in God or him in me. The only time my family was allowed to enter the courtroom on my behalf was during the sentencing phase where my mother and sister had to beg for my life and the prosecutor simply said, I was only fit for killing. Where is the justice for me when the courts have refused to allow me relief, when multiple witnesses have recanted their testimonies that they lied against me? Because of the anti-terrorism bill, the blatant racism and bias in the U.S. court system, I remain on death row in spite of a compelling case of my innocence. Finally, I have a private law firm trying to help save my life in the court system, but it is like no one wants to admit the system made another grave mistake. Am I to be made an example of to save face? Does anyone care about my family who have been victimized by this death sentence for over 16 years? Does anyone care that my family has the fate of knowing the time and manner by which I may be killed by the state of Georgia? I truly understand a life has been lost and I prayed for that family just as I pray for mine. But I am innocent and all I ask is for a true day in a just court. If I am so guilty, why do the courts deny me that? The truth is that they have no real case. The truth is I am innocent. Where is the justice for me? Troy Davis, January 2007. The death penalty existing means that innocent people will be executed. And that means more often than not, innocent black people will be executed. Troy Davis's story begs me to pose the question. With all of this uncertainty surrounding Troy's innocence or guilt, why execute him? Long live Troy Davis. Yo, if you like the podcast, do me a favor and go leave us a rating and a review. Whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, it goes a long, long way. I truly appreciate all of you. Also, go follow us on Instagram. Screenshot your favorite episode of the podcast and post it on your Instagram story and tell us why it's your favorite episode of the podcast. Until next time.